I'm John Hendren, and this is episode 21 of BotCast. So you certainly recognize that piece. This is the Toccata and Fugue for organ in D minor, BWV 565. Um, Big, big, big piece. Certainly a huge segment of modern Western society recognizes that piece. That is not to say everybody would naturally attribute it to the Baroque composer Johann Sebastian Bach, but nevertheless, um, we, we certainly know that piece of music. Uh, the first first opening of the Toccata, which we will remind everybody, it means to touch in Italian. Um, that that opening came from a recording in the early 80s done for the archive production label Deutsche Grammophon by Tan Koopman. And I remember this recording. Uh, there was a very small record store where I would go, and I don't remember the precise name of it. It was when I was living in Ohio. And up on a shelf, you saw these multiple disc sets of various collections and I remember eyeing this time after time and I remember I finally got the uh, finally came to terms with what it was going to cost me it was around $60 I think and it was silver and uh, had a very metallic look to it with, with dark navy blue and on the front of it was a uh, at least when you got the booklet there was a the big a famous portrait of Bach on it. And I believe it's called the Bach edition. I don't know how many uh, CDs they released at that time. Um, but it had three CDs, had some organ pieces by Koopman, and it had some harpsichord pieces by Trevor Pinnock. The Pinnock recordings, if I remember, were recorded in the 70s, and the, the, uh, the organ ones were fresher. And, of course, this was my first CD of this piece performed in a historical context. I had, of course, heard this piece be- before by other organists. Um, 
I remember one of them was Simon Preston, who used to record, the, the British organist who used to record for Deutsche Grammophon came out with multiple Bach recordings. And um, there were others along the way. And it's certainly not the only one I own. And then I thought I'd give you a flavor of what Koopman did in the 90s when he re-recorded that for the Teldec das, das Alte Werk uh, set that he put out of the complete Bach uh, works for organ. And the keys are different, you notice that. And, of course, you really don't have a magic button or switch to change keys. Um, churches had different tuning systems, and so it's, it's kind of shocking when you hear them back-to-back. So what is this piece, and why is it so famous? Um, it actually is, is kind of simple when you think about the opening. Um, da, 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 da. Um, it's basically going from the fifth note in a scale, the A, down to the D, which is a very simple thing in music theory to go naturally down. And we get the sense of the tonality by that little trill at the beginning. It doesn't go to a G sharp. Um, da, 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 da. Uh, if it did, it might make sound like it was an A, but instead it doesn't. And when we get down to the C sharp, uh, that is the leading tone that directs us to D. And then it repeats, just lower, right? And then this big, fat note comes in with a pedal. And if there was anything to sort of root us in the tonality of this piece, it would be a big, big, fat D in the bass. And if you are very conversant with box works or organ. This one stands out a little bit because it's a little different. And because it's different, there's some controversy with this work. And the heart of the matter is not everybody believes that this is an authentic piece of music by Johann Sebastian Bach. And that's very interesting to us because it is so famous. It is so well known. And then we scratch our heads because, wait a minute. If it wasn't written by Bach, who wrote it? So I'm not going to go... Th- I don't want that to be the big big focus of this, um, this episode. But I've linked to the Wikipedia article in this piece, which does touch upon some of the folks who uh, have questions its its authenticity as a Bach piece. And in my show notes, I, I basically kind of uh, distill it as much as possible with um, five different possibilities. This was a piece written by Bach, but it was written when he was very young. He hadn't fully developed all his technique as a composer, as a contrapuntalist, and therefore it has some, perhaps we could say, immature aspects to it. It definitely does have a lot of energy, and that might make sense if you think of a young aspiring musician who has had some time playing other people's work on the organ and now has taken the time to write something that um, uh, is in their own 
wheelhouse and comfort level. The funny thing is, of all the music we have by Bach, so much of it is at this very high level, which raises the point, did everything Bach put his pen to become a masterpiece? Or did the works that survive to us today by Bach survive because they were his better pieces and we simply lost some of his more immature, less fully developed ideas? That's certainly a possibility. Who knows? The second possibility with this piece is that it was an an adaptation by Bach of a piece he wrote, but now he's he's sitting down to to reimagine it for the organ. The third option is that it's an adaptation by Bach of a piece that was originally written by somebody else. Or it could have been an adaptation by someone else of a piece originally written by Bach. And then the last possibility is that it may have been incorrectly attributed by an organist as a piece by Bach, and that attribution is wrong. We just have been believing it's by Bach. We like the piece, and we said, well, of course, because we like it, it must be a Bach. And so there's, there's divisions on this, and I'm going to stop there because I like the piece. Um, either because it's so familiar to me and I've heard it multiple times and I've, you know, like you probably have heard or, or seen a, 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 a TV show or a horror movie where that piece comes out and I'm thinking, oh, something scary is going to happen or I'm supposed to think something scary is happening or it's a parody of something and they play that music to make me think I should be scared. And yes, I'll even confess that uh, in giving away Halloween candy in my house one year, I put this piece on repeat in the background as as kids came to the door to collect candy. So I've fallen for it. It's in my head, and yet I still like it. And the Koopman versions, either one, I think you'll find as, as satisfying recordings of this piece. But I want to devote the rest of the episode to what do you do when you arrange this? Now... I bring arrangements up because there's there's been this idea that it may have been written for a string instrument. There's some of the writing that lends itself to the style of a string instrument. And there have been a number of attempts at this. There's been orchestral versions of it. But one of the first ones to come to me was by Andrew Manzi. Uh, Andrew Manzi recorded the um, collection of Bach, his violin and harpsichord sonatas. Uh, that is a, a collection we have not yet explored in this podcast. It's it's a two CD set. He records it with um, Jake Turlinden on uh, on cello, and with Richard Egar on the harpsichord. And he includes in that release on Harmonia Mundi this solo rendition of the Toccata and Fugue. And it's been rearranged in another key, not in D minor, but in A minor which fits the compass or the gamut, if you will, of of notes on the violin. So let's listen to this opening toccata, 
now performed on the violin and not the organ. When you heard on the organ, it, it kind of arrested your attention. Da da da, da 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 da. You know, and I, I kind of sang it there, even though it was the you know, electric guitar version of it. It, it, it sounds and it comes out. And so what Manzi does is he, kind of takes it, a little softer, right? It just kind of, comes out of nowhere. Da da da, da 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 da. And then when we, I've let this one go a little longer than I did with the, with the organ version. Um, he, he can't sit there at the keyboard and layer that big fat chord before it resolves to the, to the D minor tonality. He has to sort of arpeggiate a number of those notes and be it as it is, um, Manzi is, is sort of He's arranging this for his instrument, and he's using some violinist, violinistic, violin-like techniques to achieve some of the results that we have in the in the violin score. Uh, we don't have the organ score, in case it matters, in Bach's hand. It was a copy of it, and it was attributed to by Bach. That's why we have some questions. If it had been written in Bach's hand, we might say, "Oh, well, of course it was by Bach." But we're not sure. And so this violin version is kind of interesting. Um, for me, the toccata doesn't necessarily prove to me that it most def definitively was for the violin. But we have multiple takes of this available. The next one I'm going to play for you, again, the opening of the toccata. And then I'm going to let it start and go into the fugue. We haven't heard the fugue yet. And this is another version for, for violin. And this is by Enrico Onofri, uh, one of my favorite violinists.
So a different arrangement. There have been many um, attempts at this, I believe, and this is Anofri's arrangement. For me, it's a more satisfying arrangement because it doesn't, um, to me, it just comes across a little more authentic sounding. Um, it starts, the interpretation there when it starts is kind of in your face, just in the same way that the organ one is. Um, and for me, it's really easy, even though the acoustic isn't quite right for this um, fantasy I have. You know, I could really close my eyes and imagine um, this being performed in a, in a large church, even a cathedral, in much the same way we might uh, expect the acoustic to sound when it's played on the organ in a large church. Um, you could just kind of... I think better imagine it. And the, the, there's something about the flavor uh, of the attack and just the way it's interpreted that, that makes sense to me uh, in the way that uh, kind of echoes what we have come to expect in the organ version. And then at the very end, there, the fugue begins. Da, 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 That greatest singer, but obviously it's it's going back and forth between the notes there, and that that's the kind of theme that people say. You know what? That kind of looks like it feels like it smells like uh, something written for a single stringed instrument. Um, so be that as it may, that's that's how he starts it out. This comes from an album that I believe was kind of hard for me to find. And I believe right now it might be easier to find. The cover is different, but the pieces are the same. So this came out, I believe, on a, a Japanese release. Um, I'm always kind of interested to see when uh, Enrico is, is releasing new recordings and they all have not been easy to find here in the US. So this one has this picture on it. It's entitled Enrico Nofri, The Secrets of Baroque Violin. And it's 24 tracks. And he's kind of all over the place with some different uh, pieces. He starts with the Bach Toccata and Fugue arrangement. He then does some Tartini, uh, some Devil's Trill, I believe. Then we're into Telemann. We're into the Bieber Passacaglia um, from the, it's the last part of the uh, Rosary Sonatas. Then we get the Gulliver Suite for two violins by Telemann. And then we're, we've got some more Telemann, and then we go to Tartini again. And then he ends with a, uh, a Ricercata, the third Ricercata by Bassano which he kind of references as a as an early 
early work, late Renaissance work. So it's it's kind of a personal album. It's got some well-known Baroque pieces in it, but it is kind of a hodgepodge of different things. And for me, hands down, my favorite part of the album is his first first movement. I think he does a really good job and definitely would uh, encourage you to seek this album out uh, for no other reason because uh, Mr. Nofri is, is one of my favorite interpreters on the instrument we strangely today call the Baroque violin. Um, just to give you a little bit of, of comparison, I'm going to play a little more of the fugue, and this would be from Andrew Manzi, just again to compare the style. So your ear might tell you something different, but for me, it's difficult for me to accept with that recording especially that this was a violent piece, at least in this version that we've kind of put together. Um, the same goes for the Free piece. For me, um, his arrangement, his performance is, is a step above perhaps the Manzi, in terms of, of how it speaks to me. Um, he's obviously has chosen some different interpretive decisions. But where one sounds like a kind of weird piece in itself, the Onofre one at least sounds to me like a violinist who wants to play this famous organ piece. And so it's ultimately a little more successful. And so we're left there. Who, who knows if it was a violin piece, maybe it was a cello piece, maybe it was maybe it was just an organ piece that um, was borrowing a lot of different ideas from different places. Um, it's still a pretty cool piece, and of all the arrangements that are out there, one that really has spoken to me time and time again is the one done by the Jacques Lucier Trio. Um, as you probably uh, know if you've listened to any number of these episodes I featured them uh, I believe two times maybe before and I'm a fan of this trio Jacques Lucier decided in the 60s I believe to try the jazz idiom with Bach and it's not that far-fetched a thing if you look at a couple of big ideas about Baroque music. You've got a bass, uh, the basso continuum that plays a big role. You've got this idea of a continuum kind of setting the stage. We don't have a drum set, unfortunately, but we have this kind of dual use of basso continuum. 
Uh, it could be a harpsichord, it could be another instrument kind of playing in tandem. And then you've got this idea of improvisation where instrumentalists are kind of following um, a set number of notes, but they have this freedom to add to it. And so you take those big kind of ideas, and it's not hard for us to see some similarities between, let's say, a jazz trio and a, a trio sonata from the Baroque era. And so they were successful with several albums called Play Bach, and in more recent times have, uh, in a slightly different configuration, have set down to to do some more. And one of the one of the pieces that they've recorded is the Toccata and Fugue. And for me, it again, there's no claim that this is the original, of course, in this in this case. Uh, it just kind of works. Uh, and it works because in the same way I think that the Enofri recording works. You know what the original is. And when I say original, it's original to us. We're not going to solve the question whether or not a violin version was the original. We didn't uncover it in some treasure trove of lost music and say, look, here's the original version of the Tocan Fugue. For us today, and for us probably forever, the first version is the organ version. And so this is just kind of a fun uh, arrangement that really speaks to me of some of the interesting aspects of this work. So here's a taste of the Jacques Lucier Trio performing BWV 565, and it'll be the last example, and we'll end with that today. Hey, thank you for listening. This is episode 21 of BachCast, and I'm your host, John Hendren. You can find more information, more BachCast episodes, at my website, bieberfan.org.